I just got back from vacation. We went out to Orlando and then to California. We went through the redwood trees. Unbelievable. If you've never been there, you have to go. When you walk into the forest, you feel like you're in Jurassic Park, like you're waiting for a dinosaur to come through the forest. It's crazy. I'm so glad. And I'm so glad for GPS because it gets you where you're going, you know, and it's on your phone now. I remember the first time we went on vacation with the GPS that was on your dashboard. You remember those days? Was that like four years ago? <laughs> it, it was like when GPS was first coming out, maybe it was longer ago than that, but it would, it would tell you, and it kept saying, like if you took a wrong turn, it kept saying recalculating. Recalculating, you just do that? It was annoying, some annoying voice. Recalculating. So I pulled into this parking lot, and I'm looking for a spot, and it's crowded, and I'm, I didn't shut it off, and it's telling me, it's recalculating, recalculating, recalculating. I'm driving around. I know, I know, I'm not, I'm not on the road anymore. I'm yelling at it. I'm having a conversation with the GPS. But then something crazy happened. So we kept circling the parking lot, and I don't know how many times that it said recalculating. And then it stopped, and it said, there is a better way. <laughs> like the voice of God. <laughs> You're not living your life right. There's a better direction to go. And I pulled in, and I thought, you know, to me, that sunk in, in, a, in a way. When I was thinking about this talk, it, it came back to me because a lot of times, a lot of us are living our lives like we're in that parking lot, that we're recalculating, we're just circling, we're circling. See, life was meant to be lived on mission, on a journey for a vision. God wants you and has you, has given you a purpose for your life. You are here on purpose. You're here for a reason. But oftentimes, many of us live a life as though we're just circling. If you are living your life not on a grand journey for what God wants you to do, then you're probably in a nauseating way, in a dizzying way, circling and circling, just looking for a place to fit in. And that image came to mind. There's so many people in this life, in this world, that don't know why they're here. They're just looking for a way to fit in, looking for a way to, to get next to the next person, to be accepted. But God's vision for our lives is so much greater than that. And my prayer is for this church, as you grab hold of the vision for your life, that you gain clarity of where you're going and what he wants you to do. I believe that God has a vision for your life. That it's more than just trying to fit in. And I know that there is power when we grab hold of that. If for the first time you realize, and maybe you were coming to church and God opened the door, you realized that he created you and made you to be his own. That he has a plan and a reason and a purpose for you to be here. And you embraced that. The power of that in our life does amazing things. If you're taking notes, one of the things that a vision does for you is that it acts like a compass. It gives you direction in life. It points you towards your destiny that God has you here for. The second thing 
that it increases your potential because if we're in the parking lot circling, we're, we're in survival mode. We're just trying to exist. We're not trying to step out into new things and to learn new things and, and to grow and to be stretched. But if we have a vision, God's constantly pulling us towards that and we have to constantly grow as a result. It acts like a compass. It increases our potential. It helps us prioritize the things in life. What am I gonna spend my time doing? If I know what I'm here for, then I know what my priorities have to be. And finally, it adds value to our work. Sometimes some tasks in life seem very difficult and very meaningless. I wanna use an example. If you've ever seen on the news where there's a flood coming and the water is beginning to rise, and people are filling sandbags. Now, I want you to imagine yourself that somebody just gave you a task arbitrarily. No water around anywhere. And they want you to fill sandbags with sand all day long. How happy are you going to be about that task? Mm -hmm. No. That would suck. You wouldn't like it. I guarantee it. They're heavy. It's hard. What am I doing this for? But if there is a river that's overflowing its banks and it's headed towards your home and your community, how much meaning does filling bags with sand take on at that point? You are gonna be motivated. You're gonna understand what you're doing. When you have a vision in your life, it adds value to what you do. You know why you get up. You know why the tasks that you're doing make sense. It's a compass, it increases our potential, it prioritizes the things in our life and it adds value to our work. God does not give out, he does not give out vision randomly. He gives you a vision for your life but it has purpose beyond you. This is the largest note paper that I've ever spoken on. <laughs> Just want you to know that. Apparently my Cold is affecting my eyesight. So, <laughs> where was I? <laughs> God does not do it randomly. Romans 8.28 says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. He works all things for the good, not your good. Now it ends up to be your good when you are in God's plan. Ultimately, it's your good as well. But our vision for our lives works together for his good, for the good, his plan and purpose in our life. There is a vision that God has for this world that he's leading us towards, that one day it will culminate with the return of Christ. And he is weaving our grand plans of our lives into one big tapestry of his ultimate plan of reaching this world with the love of Christ and to advance his kingdom in this place. As we pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, where? On earth as it is in heaven. It starts here. He's weaving our plans together for his purpose and his kingdom. It's bigger than you. 
It's bigger than our individual, though that gives us direction. God, we need to see the grand purpose of our work and our purpose. That it is for the good. And sometimes we get lost in that. We think or we get self-focused on what we're doing. But we've got to keep it in perspective that what God is doing is transforming this world, redeeming this world. He lost this world because of our decisions. We walked away from him. Christ came to bring hope and restoration, to bring redemption, to buy back what was lost by the blood of Christ. He bought it back with his own blood and his own life. And when we come to Christ, we become part of his kingdom for his ultimate purpose. So place your vision for your life, what God is calling you in the greater context of what he's doing. See, when we get to Nehemiah chapter two, when we look at what Nehemiah is being called to, it's a beautiful thing. Nehemiah's vision for his life flows out of his brokenness and his sadness for what's happening in his city. I so identify with where Nehemiah is when I see the stuff that's happening in our region. When I see the brokenness that exists, my heart breaks for what God could be doing through us. And it flows, Nehemiah's vision flows out of that brokenness, but he doesn't just stay there. He prays, but he doesn't just pray. He goes to the king and he says, I've got this plan. And the king asked him what he wants. And he said, I'm sad because my city is broken and has been burned. I want to go back and I want to fix it. I want to fix it. I want to restore the city of God to its former glory, that it was a beachhead of God's love and salvation a beacon to the world of hope, of a God that cares about a world that's broken and has run from him. Jerusalem was the place, the center of what God wanted to do to reach the world, to bring the light of the gospel, his shalom, his peace, his rule, his reign, his salvation to this world. Nehemiah wants to be a part of that. He wants to go back and help restore the city, to restore God's work in this world. So let's read Nehemiah chapter two. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Chapter two, starting in verse 11 through verse 20. Or you can follow along with me on the screen if you can hear me. I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one that I was riding on. By night I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem which had been broken down and its gates which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on towards the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through, so I went up to the valley by, the, by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because as yet I hadn't said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or the officials or any other who would be doing the work. 
Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sanbal, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is it you're doing, they asked. Are you, are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, "My, the God of heaven will give us success. Amen. The God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historical right to it. I love what Nehemiah does. He sees the problem, the problem that for days he wept over, but he went to the king. He started the work himself. He observed, he did his research, and he came back to the people, and he lays out the vision. The vision is beautiful, and he stands before him. This is the problem. The city is burnt and broken down. The solution is we're going to rebuild the wall, and the result is that we will no longer be a disgrace, that we will be the city of God, that we will bring the light and hope of salvation of our God to the world again. But there will always be in your vision, the vision that God has you on, the vision that he's given you, and maybe you're in the process of still trying to figure that out, and that is okay, but there will always be conflict. There will always be resistance. When you are fighting for that vision, when you are pursuing that vision, there will always be resistance to it. And I think in three different ways. So again, if you're taking notes, one of the ways is just that we live in a broken world. Even scientists know that this happens. They call it entropy. The world is going from a state of order to disorder. It's broken. It doesn't work the way it should. The, the world that God created in the beginning was affected by sin. The world in all of its parts does not work right. The second thing is our own sinfulness, our own arrogance, our own pride, our own desires, our own old person before we met Christ that still hangs on, that tries to lead us in the wrong direction, our own destructive behaviors want to seek and pull us away from the vision. And finally, all of hell. All of hell, all of the power of the enemy, everything that he can do, wants to not see that vision realized in your life. He doesn't want you to succeed. There are forces in any time, if you've worked in any capacity to try to do something good, that's where the saying came from. No good deed goes unpunished. Why? Because when you try to do good, there's always resistance to it. We have to be aware of that, but we know that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We know that we can win, that we can take and advance the kingdom because we do it through him. And we can only do it through him. The scripture says that apart from Christ, I can do nothing. But with God, what? 
All things are possible, all things. He's never gonna get a, give us anything that we cannot handle. When I think about Nehemiah's vision, the fact that he went into hostile territory, that people, the Sanballat, the king, the king or governor of, of Samaria and his cronies, they wanted to do everything to keep them from succeeding. He's going into a hostile area. That's why he needs those letters from the king to go in. And I think sometimes, anytime we face resistance, or it seems difficult, or there might be danger, we back off or we shrink back. Well, that can't be God's will because I might get hurt. Something might happen to my family. And those are legitimate concerns. But if we continue not to face danger with God's vision and our forefront and our sight, then we will never accomplish I mean, what if the disciples said that, you know, we don't wanna take the gospel because people don't like it? 11 of the 12 disciples were killed for what they believed. Sometimes I think we take the safe path with our visions and avoid the risk. Erwin McManus says, a world without God cannot wait for us to choose the safe path. If we wait for someone else to take the risk, we risk that no one will act and nothing will ever be accomplished. You've heard it said maybe that the safest place in the whole world is at the center of God's will. But I submit that it is probably the most dangerous if you read Hebrews chapter 11, just read Hebrews chapter 11. It starts out nice. Starts out good. Starts out with people that did great things. But then it shifts. Verse 32, and the author of Hebrews says, and what shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon or Barak or Samson or Jephthah or David or Samuel or the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and floggings and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. And they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. The world was not worthy of them. That doesn't sound safe to me. That doesn't sound safe. I don't know about you, but I want to shy away from getting sawed in two. Just trying to be honest. Sounds scary. But they held on to the hope that in Christ that our ultimate vision is not realized here, but in relationship with Christ, that we work towards the advancement of God's kingdom here. So what can we learn from Nehemiah? One is that the vision costs you. It costs you complete commitment 
complete commitment. When you think about the vision and what energy and commitment you're putting towards it right now in your life, are you more like the chicken or the pig in regards to breakfast? Because the chicken is involved, but the pig is committed. Bacon. I imagine that went better in my head. <laughs> when I was a camp counselor, we used to do a ropes course. You ever do a ropes course? Love ropes course. We used to do this thing where we took children up into those trees, like 40 feet in the air, and hung them from ropes. It was awesome. One of the things we did was called the pamper pole. It was a 40-foot pole with a little tiny platform at the top, about one foot by one foot. There was huge staples into the tree that you climb the tree. So you get to the belay rope, um, and then you climb this tree. And then you, you put your, then you stand up. Well, the funny thing about this pole is it's not necessarily that stationary. So you're doing this 40 feet in the air, and you know psychologically there, there's a rope of safetyness attached to you, but some reason it doesn't seem okay when you're up there. And then they had a trapeze out there a ways, and what you were supposed to do is jump and grab the trapeze. That's fun for kids. And it was awesome, but your commitment had to be all in. There was no keeping one foot on the platform and getting the, there was no, no. You had to commit, you had to jump. And there's a reason why they call it the pamper pull. Because some people should have had some pampers on. <laughs> and they climbed the pole. I hate when that happens. <laughs> Are you committed to the vision that God has given you? Are you all in in the vision? There's a guy who was a missionary to a place called Burma, now called Myanmar. His name was Adoniram Judson. Adoniram Judson went there to begin to translate, and he started translating the spoken language into a written language. He couldn't even translate the Bible yet. He had to translate their language into grammar. And then he began to translate the Bible into their language so they could hear the gospel. Adoniram Judson was there 10 years before he had his first convert to Christianity. There was no Christianity in the region in the early 1800s. And he went there and he began to preach and 12 people came to his first meeting, but they seemed uninterested. And, and they kind of, after that, left. And so 10 years he worked for his very first baptized convert. It took another 12 years to get to 18 in his church. That's commitment. But not only that, in that process, he lost two of his children. He was violently arrested and thrown in prison for 21 months. Sometimes he was hung upside down by the monocles around his ankles and only his head and his shoulders could touch the ground. During that time, 
His wife, who may be even more amazing than him in her courage, sought desperately to get him and break him out of prison, constantly visiting him, taking his translation materials to him in prison while he translated the Bible upside down. That's crazy to me. He broke out of prison, and shortly after he got out of prison, his wife passed away. He went into a long period of depression. When he finally broke out of that and decided to, to re-engage the country in, in ministry and in evangelism, he went back out. He got remarried. He had eight more children. Only five of those children made it to adulthood. His second wife died. And by the time of his death, there was about 100 people in his church. The guy that I heard this story from went to a conference where he sat down next to a guy from Myanmar and he looked at his Bible and it said, translated by Adoniram Judson. And he leaned over and he said, how do you feel about Adoniram? And the guy immediately began to cry because now today there are over 6 million Christians, believers in Christ in Myanmar because one guy was willing to give his life and translate the scriptures into their language. I'm so humbled by that. I'm so humbled by that kind of commitment, that kind of dedication for the gospel, that it really is a hope of the world. And if we really do believe that, then we will do everything in our power to live out the calling and vision that God has placed on our lives. And I believe what Nehemiah speaks to us is that there are three areas of commitment that we need to sacrifice in order to do the work that God is calling us to. Not just the vision, but getting to work. And the first is our treasures. One of the ways that we can see where our heart is is where our treasures are and where they get spent. And unfortunately, we've probably heard somebody say that before in a sermon. And unfortunately, it's still true. <laughs> Where does all our money go? What does it look like? What is it being spent on? When you commit fully to God's vision, you commit your finances, your treasures to him, your possessions to him. I'm due, uh, one of the things that I mentioned, I do life coaching, I'm working with two guys. The very first guy I was coaching was very not right with what he was doing in life. He wanted to do something different, but he didn't know what it was. He was actually working at a church, but very dissatisfied, had thought that God had something else for him to do. And in the process, he couldn't think of a job that he would do that would encapsulate all of his gifts, that would work with him, that would be the right fit for him. And it's so interesting because I said, why, why do you have to do a job? Why, why do you have to have a specific job? You do all kinds of amazing things. Why don't you just start a business doing amazing stuff? And it was like, 
it clicked on for him. And he was like, that's it. He started a business. He left ministry to fulfill the calling that he realized God had on his life to affect more change, to be in, in relationship with more people that didn't know the gospel and to begin to help them and, and deliver and, and build relationships with them. He's now in a very short period of time subcontracting for a guy that's in the department, the state department in the government in a, just a couple of months. The other guy was in a corporate setting for 12 years, really liked his job, liked the corporation, but felt like his job was too small for him. And so he resigned and he's starting a nonprofit to educate and to help ex-convicts find life-sustainable wage jobs, to help train them. But both of those guys' situations took a huge financial risk. In Nehemiah's time, most of the people that went to work on the wall were involved with agriculture, so leaving their farms and leaving their families was a huge financial risk for them to do the work that God was calling them to do that ultimately would lead to their success and their betterment, but there was a huge risk, a huge sacrifice. Sometimes it takes that. The second thing is our talents. There's certain things we do good, do well, do good. Soon, I don't know, my wife's the English teacher. So there are certain things you do good, <laughs> and there are certain things you don't. But when you're at the beginning of your vision, when you're stepping out, You've got to work at doing things that maybe you are uncomfortable with, that you don't know, that God's gonna stretch you and use you in those areas. I used to be so afraid of speaking in front of people. I was paralyzed by it. When we were starting one of our first college ministries, a long time ago, the, we put this band together, they were awesome, we had this plan, and, and I said to the team that was putting this on, and, well, who's gonna speak? And they looked at me like I was an idiot because I was. They're like, you are gonna speak. I was like, oh my, I can't do that. I hate that. It's so scary. I'd rather die. God stretches you steps out of where you're talented to realize maybe a gift that you didn't have. When we started Church in a Bar back in 2006, I thought I was starting this really cool thing that all the cool people would come to, that all the, the people that partied at the club would come to the next day at the cell block. And we opened the doors and that's not who showed up. The whole world showed up, everybody. Every color, creed. We had young people and old people and single moms and, and we had prostitutes and, and we had uh, drug dealers and we had people that were high and one of the first guys I met stepped out talking about taking a risk. I, I was like, oh, how you doing? He kind of sounded like this. I was like, oh, everything okay? I probably said something stupid to him. And uh, he was like, well, yeah, last year I was back behind the cell block here and uh, I got jumped and somebody slipped my throat. I was like, where? <laughs> he said, right, just right out back. 
Okay, that's it. We're done here. We're going home. God wants to use your talents, but sometimes you've got to step outside of that. The people that worked on the wall in chapter three, if you read that, some of them were government officials. And that surprises me that they were working. Just, I'm just joking. I'm teasing. I know some of you work for the government. And that's why I said it. Uh, there were perfume makers and goldsmiths and common people, common men and common women. Even the priests were working on it. Some are, I can imagine the conversation. It was about time to do some real work. Right? You've never heard that, Jack. No. Non-skilled labor. I thought about Serve Erie, the fact that they let me work on that building. You know, that we transformed the building at Lincoln with common people working in places not necessarily their talents. To transform that, to come to a, uh, the conclusion of a vision that somebody had about how to help Erie. That continues. We need to do that more and more. To step out and embrace those things. But finally, is our time. Ben Franklin said that many people die at the age of 25, but they aren't buried until they're 75. Now let that soak in for a second. John Maxwell says, you will never change your life until you change something that you do daily. The secret of your success is found in your daily agenda. You've got to change what you do on a daily basis. Today is the only day that you have. Today is the only day you have. What are you going to do with it? I wanted to illustrate this by a little, you were probably wondering what this bag was. Here we go. Here's my little example. Everybody still with me? Yeah. All right. We're going to close shortly. You're like, what's in there? These are cat toys. Duh. There's all my cat toys for my cat. And these coins represent your time and energy in activity. Some of these might be binging on Netflix. Ooh, got silent. Do another one. Some of this might be golf. Not bad, right? These are not bad things. They just take up time. Golf takes up a lot of time. You gotta walk around that whole thing unless you have a cart. This just represents all the things that we spend our time doing in life, the stuff that we give our life to, that is being poured into our life on a daily basis. I'm just going to speed this up. Oh, this is going to get bad. I should have practiced. But then when you fill your life up and you're like, oh, but I've got all these big things in my life. I've got to spend time with my family. I forgot to do that. I've got to work on my spiritual life. Forgot to do that. I've got to try to squeeze that in. I've done all these things and they don't fit. When you wait to last to put the important things in, if this is your God dream and your God vision and you've done everything else and it doesn't fit, if you prioritize your life and your time, if you put those things in your schedule first, if you live with those things first, and I sure hope that this works. 
if you do that, oh, I can take you out to coffee later. I've got a lot of change in it. Your life will not change until you change what you do daily. If God has called you to a vision like he did with Nehemiah, if you put your hands to the work, you've got to prioritize your time and you're gonna sacrifice your time for it. So my question to leave you with today, what is God's vision for you and have you started it yet? And if you haven't started it yet, what are you going to do today? What are you gonna to prioritize today to begin to change that? Because we don't have a willpower problem, folks. We have a strategy problem. Let me say that again. We don't have a willpower problem. We have a strategy problem. God has given you everything you need for life and godliness. Prioritize those things first. Let's pray. Jesus, you are good. If there's somebody here today that maybe for the first time they, they've realized that God has a vision for their life as well, that he created them and went to the cross and died for them to, to give them new life in a relationship with him, that their vision is now starting, that you're taking them on this adventure, that they're no longer circling the parking lot, but because we fit in with you, we don't have to fit in with the world. And God, for those that are seeking your vision, that are still finding clarity, I pray that those prayers would be answered, that you would begin to mold and shape clarity as they continue to give their time to you, God, that you would give them that vision with, clear, with clearness and, and the ability to, to do it, to live it out. And may you get all the glory as you work towards repairing and restoring this city that we live in, in Jesus' name, amen.